You're listening to audio from Shandon Baptist Church. If you'd like to check out more resources from us, please visit our website at shandon.org. step into this great passage of scripture in Colossians 3 verse 15 and I'd like to invite you if you're willing and able to stand with me as I read from God's word and if you're joining us right now online you may be wondering why why do we stand for the reading of God's word if you're new to Shandon you may be wondering that as well well the reason we do this we do this every week at the beginning of the message we want to be reminded as a church as the people of God that the word of God is our authority. It is the foundation on which we stand, the solid rock, immovable truth, what God says is right and good and true for you, for me, and for all people is revealed in his word. And so we turn our attention to God's word to see what God desires for us to see. Look at what it says in Colossians 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you pray with me as we consider God's word here together? Father, as we come before you now and turn our attention to your word and and what it means to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Oh, how we need to hear this. In the midst of so much uncertainty and in the midst of so much struggle for so many, in the midst of of so much division that we see in our culture, in the midst of so much disagreement, Lord, we need to see what it means to have the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And so I pray that you would have your way among us your spirit would move here in this place and among those who are joining us online that we would see with greater clarity what it means to live in the peace of Christ and to know the grace and forgiveness that has been made available to us through Jesus. So Lord, we lift this prayer to you in his name, the name above all names. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, in the fall of 1963, there was a brand new technology that was introduced to the world in the midst of the biggest college football game of the year in 1963, the annual clash between Army and Navy. This was a game that was televised. There weren't a lot of games televised back in the early 60s. But in 1963, as the Army-Navy football game was being televised around the country, this new technology was brought to the viewing public. It was something that they were calling instant replay. 
Instant replay had never been used before this Army-Navy game in December of 1963. And this technology was pretty cumbersome as far as it related to being able to use it. In fact, the, the first instant replay machine weighed over 1,300 pounds. Not like an iPhone, right? And to do a replay of something that had taken place on live TV, it typically was taking them 20 to 30 minutes for the technology to be able to rewind it back and then play it forward in a way that would be presentable. That's why it hadn't been used to this point, but, but this specific time, they had found a way to use instant replay on just a 15 second delay. And so near the end of the game, they decided this is the time to introduce TV viewers to instant replay. And the play-by-play commentator began to communicate to the TV audience, what you are seeing here is not Army scoring a second touchdown 15 seconds later. No, this just happened. This is a, a replay. You're getting a second look at what has already happened in the game. And it changed the way people were able to view live sporting events from that day forward. If you're a sports fan, you also know that instant replay eventually changed the game completely because leagues began to adopt instant replay as a means by which a call on the field could be overturned. We'll go to the booth and we'll, we'll see what really took place. And if the, the referee or the umpire got it wrong, then, then we can use replay and we can reverse the call on the field. But as you know, before replay became part of the rule of the game, when the call on the field was made by the umpire or the official or the referee, they had the final say. And even if the fans boo, and even if the coach would begin to kick and scream and go crazy about the call that was just made on the field, the referee or the umpire, they had the final say. Their word was the rule, and the game would continue based on the decision that they had made. And what in the world does this have to do with the peace of Christ in Colossians 3? Well, it's interesting to note that when the Apostle Paul uses the word rule, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, that word that we translate rule, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And it was used to draw to mind a reference or a picture of an official ruling in an athletic competition. Yes, even in the days when Paul was writing this letter, the games were a big deal. And everyone knew that when the referee or official made the call, made the ruling, the ruling was final, the ruling said what took place. And it dictated the game. And so the apostle Paul is saying here to the church, the peace of Christ is to have the final say in your life. The peace of Christ is to be the rule by which you live, by which you interact with other people. 
The peace of Christ is to be the final say through which you navigate the the challenges and the disagreements and the confusion and the difficulty of your circumstances. Paul is saying to the church, when conflicts arise, and they will arise, let the peace of Christ that has been granted to the people of God through the gift of forgiveness that comes in Christ, let the peace of Christ have the final say. So how do we live this out? Well, what do we need to be paying attention to so that the peace of Christ can have the rule or the, the final say, the authority in our hearts as we interact with others and as we navigate our circumstances, well, the scripture is gonna go on to give us some specific ways that the peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts. Look back at verse 15 of Colossians chapter three. We see the first two ways that the apostle Paul references here that the peace of Christ begins to rule in the heart of the people of God. Verse 15 again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed, listen to this, you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The first thing we see here that is so important for us to understand, if the peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts, is the people of God are to be focused intentionally on gospel unity in gospel community. This is what the church is to be about. If we desire for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts individually and we desire for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts corporately as a local church, we must be intentionally focused on gospel unity in gospel community. For what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, you were indeed called in one body. Jesus' followers are called in one body to strive for unity in the community of the family of God. What is this all about? This is the call to keep Jesus the main thing in Christian community. This is the call to keep Jesus first and foremost because the only way that we can have true gospel unity among the people of God, the family of God, the body of Christ, is if we keep Jesus the focus. And the Apostle Paul would go on to say it this way in his letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter four, verses 15 and 16. Look at what the scripture says. We'll put this on the screen. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body of Christ, the scripture is saying, has one head. His name is Jesus. He is the point. He is to be the focus of the body. And we know why this is important. We all do. You know why this is important. Because you know this reality. Every single one of us have opinions. Every single one of us gathered in this room, every single one gathered online, we all have opinions. 
And every single one of us, every single one of us gathered in this room and gathered online, we all have preferences. And don't miss this. Every single one of us gathered in this room and gathered online, we all have sin. And when we interact with others in the body of Christ and we only focus on our preferences or our opinions, our sin will win the day. It will happen every single time. Our sin will create division as we focus on our preferences and our opinions above all else. But when we, as the people of God, interact with others in the body of Christ and make it our top priority to keep Jesus as the focus, the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts, will rule in the body of Christ, and the body of Christ will be a beautiful expression of forgiveness and grace, even when our opinions and preferences may disagree. So the scripture is saying to the church, I know you desire peace, And so if you want the peace of Christ to rule in your heart, you must be intentionally focused on gospel unity in gospel community, keeping Jesus as the main thing. But the scripture then goes on. We see here at the end of verse 15, what we also then see in verse 16 and verse 17, this idea, this very simple invitation to be thankful. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, recognizing you were called in one body and be thankful. For the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, we must have thankful hearts. What a simple idea, right? What a simple statement. Colossians 3.15, and be thankful, Here's the reality, a reality that you're probably familiar with the way I am familiar with this in my own household. We all have far more to be thankful for than we do to complain about, but the overwhelming majority of us complain more than we are thankful. And so this very simple idea is a reminder all throughout the scripture. Remember, remember all the reasons why you have to be thankful. Think about what took place in our lives over this last year. In all the midst of what was uncertain and challenging and all the overused words like unprecedented, we were given an opportunity to remember as some things were taken away, all of the things that we have to truly be thankful for. And yet, for many, this last year just became a lot of reasons to complain. And where we are complaining more than we are thankful, the peace of Christ 
is not ruling in our hearts. And so the word of God says to the people of God, be thankful. You want the peace of Christ to rule in your heart? Then remember the reason upon reason upon reason that you have to be thankful that God has done for you what you could never do for yourself, that God who is gracious and good has lavishly poured out so many gifts in your life that, that we often just take for granted. Remember this call to thanksgiving and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So what can we do intentionally? How do we live specifically a life of thanksgiving that the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts? Well, verse 16 of Colossians 3 is so incredibly important. In fact, this is, this is one of the more important verses in the New Testament as it relates to understanding the peace of Christ in our hearts. And so with that being said, if this is such an important statement, you better believe that what we are about to read in verse 16 of Colossians 3 is going to be attacked by the enemy of God. You need to know that right up front. What we see in verse 16 that is to be the focus for the people of God so that the peace of Christ can dwell in our hearts, so that the peace of Christ can rule in our hearts is going to be attacked by the enemy of God. So what does it say? Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The scripture here is saying, if you want the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts and you wanna grow in gratitude and thanksgiving, here's the key. The word of God and the worship of God must be our foundation. The word of God and the worship of God must be our foundation. And remember what I said before we looked at the verse. The enemy of God does not want the word of God and the worship of God to be your foundation. He wants to distract you from ever spending time in the word. He wants to plant seeds of doubt from the, the culture that would challenge you to think, well, the word of God is irrelevant today. No, 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 the word of God does not speak to my life or my circumstances. No, 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 the word of God is out of touch with reality. That's what the enemy of God wants you to believe. Because the word of God is what leads to the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. And the worship of God? Oh, the enemy of God wants there to be a worship war. The enemy of God wants there to be division among churches as it relates to worship. Because true God-honoring, Christ-exalting worship is what invites us to live in such a way that the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. So the enemy of God is seeking to distract and divide and create dissension so that we will not 
pay attention to the word and so that we will not participate in true Christ-exalting worship. So I want to talk about worship for just a few moments here in this text because it is of the utmost importance. And because worship, true worship, is what God desires from his people. So what is true worship? Well, true worship flows out of a heart of thanksgiving. A heart of thanksgiving that is grounded in the word of God. And a heart of thanksgiving that is grounded in the word of God is going to lead us to repentance. It's going to lead us to see our need for the gospel. And it's going to lead us to cry out to God in gratitude as we recognize what he has done to meet us in our need. And so you can say it simply this way. True worship that honors God is worship that flows out of repentance. True worship that honors God is worship that flows out of repentance. I want to read to you a statement from Kent Hughes in his commentary. He says this. Acceptable worship is sweetened with a spirit of repentance. Your worship is unacceptable unless it is the overflow of repentance. Then he asks a question. So which claims the greater urgency in our hearts? The form of our worship or the quality of our lives? Are we at least as eager to repent of our sins as we are to preserve our form of worship? Where does the sense of urgency lie. This is challenging to consider, but this is so important to consider because this is getting to the heart of worship. So the question is, are we more urgently concerned about a style or about our preference or about song selection than we are urgently concerned about the sin in our life that needs to be laid before the cross in repentance and forgiven in the grace of God? For God is far more concerned about our hearts than he is our style or preferences. Where is the urgency? Are we more urgently concerned about what we want when we gather for worship or what God wants from his people in true worship? And because this conversation is so important, I wanna take us to one of the places in the Psalms that talks about the the beautiful heart of worship that God desires. The, The heart of worship is described all throughout the scripture. It's described over and over again in the Psalms, but there are few places that more beautifully describe a heart of worship than Psalm 51. So turn in your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 51. Psalm that is right in the middle of the Bible, if you get to Proverbs, just go back a little bit to the left. If you get to Psalm 50, just go over a little bit to the right. Psalm 51, that was a joke, preacher joke. What do we see in Psalm 51? Well, Psalm 51 is written by King David, a man who is called a man after God's own heart. 
As David is writing this psalm and singing this psalm, he is painfully aware of his sin. He has come face to face with his personal need for the mercy of God, and he is crying out to God in repentance. Look at what we see beginning in verse one. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What is David saying here? David is saying, I see that I am helpless and I am hopeless without my God. What I see in my own life, in my own sin, in my own heart, what I'm painfully aware of right now is something that must be brought before the Lord. And so I'm not denying my sin I'm not trying to spiritualize it away and change the subject. I'm not sweeping my sin under the rug and acting like everything's great and easy and shiny in my life. No, I I am acknowledging my sin. And as I acknowledge my sin, I'm crying out to my God. Because he is my only hope. See, for David, this is not about a style. This is about a heart. A heart that desperately needs the grace of God. He goes on in verse 10 through 12. He says, create in me a clean heart. This should be the cry of every worshiper. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. See, David is saying, look, I I have tried. I cannot clean up my life. I can't fix what is broken in my heart through sin, and so I need you, God, to restore me and to renew me, and I see that what my sin actually deserves is for me to be taken far away from you. But I remember, I remember who you are, God, and you are not a God who gives me what I deserve in my sin. No, in fact, you are the God that gives me what I don't deserve in the midst of my sin, so restore me to that place. Let me remember the joy of your salvation, that I'm not getting what I deserve. No, instead, I'm getting that which I don't deserve because of your love and grace. Fix my heart on this truth. That is David's cry. And then we jump down to verse 15 of Psalm 51. He says, oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God. You will not 
despise. Here we are seeing the worship that God desires. This is the worship that is pleasing to God. Christ-exalting worship that is not based upon primarily our style or our preference, but is based primarily on a heart of repentance that is crying out to God, singing out to God in gratitude and thanksgiving at the amazing grace and endless love that God has lavishly poured out upon his people. This God-honoring worship is all about what God has done for us. And so the question then must be asked, well, if this is God-honoring worship, if this is true Christ-exalting worship according to the scripture, then why is there so often tension or division in churches as it relates to worship? And the answer is simply this. Far too often, worship becomes more about what we want than the heart that God desires. And I'll tell you, I've been in ministry now for almost 20 years, and one of the things that has grieved my heart the most in the church over these last 20 years. I'm not talking about just here at Shandon. Certainly this is, this is true at Shandon, but this is true in many churches. One of the things that has grieved my heart the most is for far too long, the conversation in the church around worship has been about style instead of being about the heart. What God desires is the heart. God is far less concerned about our worship style than he is our worship heart. Church, don't miss this. This is of the utmost importance. A heart of repentance that leads to a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving leads to overflowing worship and praise that honors God. It's all about what he desires for us and what he has done for us versus what we want as it relates to a style. I've heard it said this way and then we'll move on. We can tell much about an individual or a church by their singing. We can tell not only by what they sing, but how they sing. And so the question that I have for all of us to consider is what is revealed by our singing? Is it revealed of us that there is excitement and passion and joy and thanksgiving at what God has done? Or is it revealed of us that we are bored and complacent when the singing happens? What, what is said of us and revealed of us in our singing? That there are songs that we like and songs that we don't like and we will only sing if we like what we hear? Is it revealed of us that we think there's only one way to worship and if that way is not done, then we just won't worship at all? Is that what's revealed of us? 
Or is it revealed of us that our hearts are crying out to God in gratitude, overwhelmed by his mercy and his grace? A lot can be seen as people sing. And the scripture is saying, if you want the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts, people of God, church, you must be grounded in the word of God. You must be responding to the word of God in thanksgiving and in worship, the worship that God desires. that is pleasing to him. As our hearts are poured out in repentance and in gratitude at his grace. We close with verse 17 this morning and we see this. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is so beautiful what the apostle Paul does here in this verse. He's saying to the church, when the peace of God rules in your heart and the word of God is the foundation of your life and the worship of God flows out of a repentant and thankful and grateful heart, listen, it's going to impact every area of your life. And so he's saying to the people of God, your, your life will be a living example of what Jesus Christ has done. It will be a beautiful testimony of the power of the gospel. You see, Paul's saying, this is not about a compartmentalized faith that says one thing on Sunday and then lives another thing Monday through Saturday. He's saying this is not about a faith that is put on the shelf when we are not gathered together as a church. You know, Paul is saying this is a faith that impacts all that we are and all that we do because this is a faith that is truly being ruled by the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ, not just on Sunday, but the peace of Christ throughout every day. As our life is rooted and grounded in the word and overflowing in God-honoring worship, as we remember that we are called to gospel unity and gospel community, as, as we join together, we remind one another through the word of God and through our singing that the peace of Christ has been granted to us. So let the peace of Christ guide whatever you do in word and deed so that you can live your life doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Is your life and your faith being ruled by the peace of Christ? What is it today in your life that might need to happen so that the peace of Christ can rule in your heart? Perhaps today you are recognizing there are some areas of your life where repentance is needed. So what is it that you need to lay at the cross? What do you need to remember to be thankful for 
so that your heart can be ruled by the peace of Christ. For when we truly understand the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we respond in faith to the good news of his forgiveness and grace, the peace of Christ will begin to rule in our life. When the word of God comes to life, and the worship of God's people is full of life, so that in everything that we do, in word or deed, we can do it all to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, you have laid before us in your word this beautiful reminder of who you are and what you have done. We live in a world that is longing for peace, a world that is crying out for peace, desperately searching for hope and peace in the midst of so much confusion and darkness and division. Lord, I pray that your people, your church, would let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts so that the peace of Christ can be seen in the world around us. So Lord, we lift our voices and we sing. Not because we think a song is cool, but because we desperately need to be reminded of who you are and what you have done. And we worship you with a repentant heart, acknowledging our need for you, recognizing that through repentance in worship, we find true peace. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take our songs, take our words, and use them for your glory, that we might live in such a way that all that we do is impacted by the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Let our words and our deeds be seen by the world, that the testimony of peace in Christ can be displayed. For those longing for peace today, Lord, I pray that they would see this beautiful gift of what Jesus Christ has done for them. And I pray that they would trust their life to the peace of Christ through the gift of salvation. Oh Lord, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done. And we worship your name for you deserve the highest praise. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.